Illusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Tilly Berlin. This is Diffusion Science Radio. Welcome to the show. You want science? We got it. Over the next 30 minutes, we'll be chatting to a scientist at the super-duper new Australian Particle Accelerator. Then there'll be beer, water, guns, soldiers and wind power, to name but a few. But before we get into all of that malarkey, let's catch up on the latest science news with Diffusion's saucy science temptress that is... Catherine B. Feeling upper body pain or pain in your left arm? Or maybe a dull tightening of the chest or even pain in the neck, jaw, shoulder or back? Then it's time you got a mobile phone. Yes, it's true. Not only do mobiles allow you to take pictures of your child's first birthday party with that happy birthday mp3 you downloaded last week, but now this tiny piece of technology can be used to save your life. You think you will know if you're about to get a heart attack? Well, think again. As statistics suggest, more than two-thirds of Australians would not call an ambulance if they thought they were having a heart attack. Sound strange? It's true. Many of us don't even know the symptoms of a heart attack. So what's this got to do with mobile phones, you may be asking? Well, Sydney researchers have created a mobile device that can take an electrocardiogram, ECG, which is basically something that records the electrical activity of the heart. This electrical pattern will be sent, in real time, to heart specialists who can tell if you are experiencing a heart attack. What is more, if you experience such severe chest pain that makes you unable to call an ambulance, your phone will leave an automated voice message and text message with your cardiologist and any other emergency numbers programmed into it. When will this new technology be ready? The device is undergoing clinical trials and should be available in the next year or so, according to the Sydney Morning Herald last week. However, like most new technology, it will be likely to cost Australians around $5,000. Is your dog feeling blue? Do you think your pet may be suffering from depression? New Scientist informed its readers last week that the US Food and Drug Administration has licensed the use of the antidepressant called Reconcile for people's dogs who may be suffering behavioural problems or depression. Daniel Mills, a veterinary behaviourist at the University of Lincoln, UK, told New Scientists that the clinical features of depression for dogs are very similar to human depression. Thus, the only difference between this antidepressant and the ones we humans use is the quantity of chemicals inside the pill. As dogs are smaller, they obviously get the lower chemical dosage. And the dog's pill has a yummy beef flavour in it. Like human antidepressant drugs, Reconcile in itself is not enough to reduce depression or behavioural problems of your dog. An overall treatment package is needed for a real change in the animal's behaviour to occur. Maybe it's time for us to get some dog psychologists. In sex news, 
A recent study found that some female ducks and geese have evolved complicated genitals to thwart sexual advances in what appears to be an arms race between the sexes. Researchers in the UK examined duck and goose vaginas and phalluses and found those females that are commonly known to be raped by their male counterparts evolve spiral channels that would impede fertilisation. How? The twists in the female overduct appear to be designed as an exquisite anti-lock and key system. That is, the females have a corkscrew-shaped overduct which twists in the opposite direction of the male phallus, which twists in an anti-clockwise direction. Some ducks have also evolved as many as eight cul-de-sac pouches that could prevent fertilisation by capturing the unwelcome sperm. So how are the babies of this species born, you may be wondering? Well, researchers believe that the male sperm can only get to the unfertilised egg when the female is relaxed and cooperative. On Thursday, April 19, the Australian Synchrotron was officially opened in Melbourne by the Minister for Innovation, John Brumby. The Australian Synchrotron is a very impressive looking machine about the size of a football field and it accelerates electrons to almost the speed of light. Diffusion's Ed Pollitt was lucky enough to attend the opening. The Australian Synchrotron is a very impressive building, outside and inside. The layout of the interior has been very well thought out. There is a circular catwalk running the length of the circumference with various offices arranged along it. And in the middle there is the machine itself. It really is enormous when you're standing right next to it. But what actually is it? Well this one is about the size of a football field and it accelerates particles, in this case electrons, to very nearly the speed of light. And that's quite a feat in itself. They go round and round in a large circle, very fast, and as they are deflected along their course by powerful magnetic fields, they create extremely bright light. This light is channeled down what are called beam lines into experimental workstations, which is where the research takes place. All sorts of research can be done using the Australian synchrotron, such as medical, i.e. cancer research, agriculture, high-resolution imaging, minerals exploration, engineering and forensics. But one of the applications I was most excited about, being an extreme geek, was advanced materials research. This can include materials that are assembled at the scale of molecules or even single atoms. It also includes what are known as intelligent polymers. And I spoke with Associate Professor Paul Dastor, who told me all about paint on solar cells. Get a load of this awesomeness. Um, most of the time, um, if we deal with plastics, we think of them as being insulators, right? You make plug sockets out of them, you don't want the electricity to flow in them. Um, which is good, you know, if you switch the socket, you get zapped. But there are some plastics, some polymers, that actually do conduct electricity. And there are actually some polymers that actually are semiconductors, just like silicon is or gallium arsenide is. In other words, the same things that go into making up the electronics in your iPod. So we can actually turn these plastics into solar cells. Just like you can make a silicon solar cell that you see outside, we can make one out of plastic. But the exciting part is that the material doesn't start off as something hard and, and, and brittle. 
it starts off as a liquid. So we can actually paint it on. In fact, in principle, we could use it to dye your shirt and generate electricity from your shirt to drive your iPod or to power your iPod. We could make enormous areas of plastic sheeting that could generate electricity. And if there's one way in which, you know, we've got a major challenge clearly at the moment is in terms of climate change. And we are burning way too much coal. We are incredibly energy hungry. That's not going to go away. Bear in mind, you know, currently a third of the world's population doesn't have access to you know, electricity at a routine level. They're not going to say, oh, don't worry. You, you have the um, iPods and the TVs. We don't want them. We'll save the planet. No. They're not going to do that at all. They're going to want to have exactly the same standard of living that we are. How are we going to generate that much electricity? Well, I think that the plastics that we're working on, those polymers, have the potential to provide us with large area um, solar energy generation, which will hopefully help us stop it digging up and burning coal, which is amusing considering I come from Newcastle. <laughs> so, well, is this sort of thing, well, solar cells in general, are they going to be able to completely replace the need for coal eventually? No, I don't think so. I think none of, these, none of these things are the golden magic bullet or uh, you know, an instant solution. We're, we're going to need to have energy generation across a wide range of sources. Solar, hydro, thermal. Coal will still be there. We'll still be able to burn coal. I mean, the, the issue with greenhouse gas production is not that we can't burn anything. We can generate CO2. It's just that we can't generate it at the rate at which we're doing it. So anything we can do to reduce that rate will help the climate in the long run. So that's the goal, I think. And I think that the work that we're doing on, uh, working on will hopefully be you know, a component of the solution to the energy crisis. That's terrific. Um, how would you use the synchrotron? Well, what the synchrotron does, so I suppose, that, I hope I'm not going to bore you with a bit of science here. No, I'd love to hear it. All right. Absolutely. So the materials that we make are basically mixtures of, of polymers. It's a bit like cookery to a certain extent, right? And when you mix polymers together, a bit like when you mix egg with um, oil, right? It can separate, you know, just when you're cooking. And you need to stir it up so it doesn't separate. Well, we're trying to understand that separation process because it turns out that how the materials separate when we make them, the structures that they form, determine how efficient our solar cells are. Now, the problem here is that the length scale that the separation happens on is very, very small. So it's at the length scale of nanometers, which is a billionth of a meter, or if you like, you know, a thousand times smaller than the hair on your head. Right? So tiny, tiny length scales. How can we study that? Well, the synchrotron allows us to actually create images of the surface that have the that have a resolution that's high enough to see these images and not only that to tell us what sort of polymer is in each separated region so we can look at different what we call phases and actually identify what they are because each phase has a characteristic absorption of the x-ray light but you need loads of x-ray light right and the problem is that only a synchrotron gives us the very very bright source that allows us to focus down to a tiny, tiny spot. Effectively, we have to throw a lot of the beam away in order to focus and look at just such a small area. So, so the way in which the synchrotron works, Edward, is that you've got a ring in which charged particles are being accelerated. Right? You've got a real particle accelerator here. It sounds very Star trek -y. And then at each um, point in the ring where we want to put a beam line, we put a magnet. 
and that magnet bends the beam. But as it does so, the beam has to change and, and, and changes its energy. And energy is shot down the beam line in the form of X-rays. We use those X-rays. And then the beam line is, if you like, a stick off that ring, uh, and there are various optical elements. Right at the very end, we put a tiny little sample that's probably about a centimetre square. So in terms of length scale, it's quite phenomenal. You know, we've got a ring here, which I'm pointing out for the benefit of those of you listening on yes. radio, um, which is, you know, what, 100 metres across or something, 50 metres across. And at the end of a line that's probably another 10 or 15 metres, we put a one centimetre sample. All of that technology, all of that science, just to give us x-rays at the surface. But without that, we can't do it. This is so you can um, map these surfaces. We can at get such a resolution. At such a resolution. Without that, we can't do it. In fact, I've just come back from Taiwan where we were doing um, similar experiments at the synchrotron there, and we go to the States. The beam lines here in Australia give us the opportunity for the first time to do this work in Australia. And that means that we will do it more efficiently, we'll save time, we'll save money, we won't have to travel, which will be fantastic. It's fantastic. Absolutely amazing. Thanks very much, Paul. Pleasure, Ed. Um, how, do you, how do you switch this off then? Yeah, I can work an iPod. Sure, why not? But I highly recommend you visit the website of the Synchrotron, which Tilly will give you in a moment. And I'd like to warmly thank Stephanie Pierce and Associate Professor Paul DeStore of the Australian Synchrotron for their kindness in accommodating me. Back to you, Tilly. That was Ed Pollitt at the Australian Synchrotron in Melbourne, an exciting milestone for physics research in Australia. If you'd like to discover more, including what the beast actually looks like, visit the highly polished website synchrotron.vic.gov.au. Now, that's synchrotron, S-Y-N-C-H-R-O-T-R-O-N, which I'm sure you all already knew which has an enormous amount of very clear and well-presented information.
and you're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. And now for a little bit of science news that didn't quite make the news, Ian Wolfe. Beer leftovers for green electricity. Foster's Breweries and the University of Queensland Advanced Wastewater Management Centre and the Belgian University of Ghent are collaborating to use the wastewater left over from fermenting beer as the feedstock for microbes in fuel cells that will produce electricity and clean water. Carbon dioxide is produced, but it's green carbon dioxide. It was taken from the air when the hops was grown for the beer, so it doesn't contribute to global warming. The microbe-based system has the potential to be used with other wastewater from other food manufacturers and even sewerage. Bacteria that provide the power are eating sugars, and human waste contains lots of sugars. The bacteria can convert one sugar cube into enough electricity to run a laptop computer for 12 hours. Their prototype is 10 litres, but they expect to have a pilot-sized plant up and running at a Foster's brewery by September 2007 that will be 250 times bigger and generate 2 kilowatts of power, enough to power one household. Wind power from your balcony. Motor wind from MotorWave Group Hong Kong, in collaboration with the University of Hong Kong, have developed a small, cheap wind power system for people to use on their roofs or balconies. The gear wheels on the turbines are 26 centimetres long and are made from recycled plastic. More gear wheels and turbines can be linked together to fit with the area you have to collect wind from. The whole system is modular and scalable. The micro-turbines are rated to produce power from 2 metres per second winds up to gale force winds. They're selling these on Yahoo stores in a balcony size with a frame of 2 metres length and a metre high. Eight micro-turbines with a generator rated at 50 watts for 10 metres per second of wind produces 1.2 kilowatt hours per day. That's more than half an average household's needs. The power is used to recharge a battery, and unlike solar electricity, micro-wind can't be connected to the mains to be sold back to the grid. It's not constant enough. If the wind is slower, then you need more gear wheels and turbines for the same power. However, one 2-metre 8-turbine pack is enough to power a battery to run a TV or a fridge for 24 hours. The American Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, are working to produce soldier-portable digital imaging systems that can pick out threats from 1 to 10 kilometres away by scanning the soldier's brain. The device will pick out threats which a soldier has subconsciously spotted but which his conscious mind is not yet aware of. Then the gadget will do what the user's brain will take longer to decide to do. Cue up the threat, a man with a gun, an approaching enemy, whatever, and take action. The shot could even be fired without the soldier making a conscious decision. Robocop anyone? The program is called Cognitive Technology Threat Warning System, CT2WS, and expected to come up with prototypes by 2011, according to DARPA. There'll be electroencephalogram EEG skull electrodes worn under combat helmets, or perhaps integrated into them, which makes the military almost bald haircut kind of useful. The plan is to record the brainwaves of people who have spotted a target and then match this up with what the system is reading from the soldier's brain. DARPA call this neurally based target detection signatures, identified with ultra-low power analogue digital hybrid signal processing electronics. The references to brain recording and brain and brain interface activated on an as-needed basis in the FAQ file on the DARPA.mil public website. Have you ever been bothered by telemarketing calls at home just when you're sitting down to dinner? Well, today the government opened up the Do Not Call Registry. This is an opt-out system where basically they assume that everybody wants to be bothered at dinner time, breakfast, or when you're half asleep, 
and called it home to do market research. So instead, you can get onto the website and put your private details in to say that you don't want to receive any calls. So this is a public list of people who want their private information private. <laughs> Why isn't it an opt-in system instead? Yeah, exactly. That that seems crazy. But um, it's, it's funny that you mentioned this, Ian, because today uh, an email went around at work, at my work, and about this and I went online immediately to sign into the opt out uh, and the website just wasn't there. What's going on? Do you know what's... what? Well, there's two possibilities. One is so many people wanted to get on at once because according to a survey in 1992, 70% of Australians don't want to receive any unsolicited yeah, calls. 70% no. of the entire population is a lot of hits in one morning. Or somebody tried to hack the site to get all this private information, which would be pretty juicy. That'd yeah. be fair. How funny would I that prefer. be? <laughs> Can you imagine actually signing up to this opt-in register, though? Yes, I would like to be bothered all the time with market research. <laughs> this is even sneakier than you might imagine, because the experience from the US do not call registry and the UK... Oh, so other people have this. We're not the have. first. Okay. They've done yep. it before, and you know what? It doesn't slow down the calls. It doesn't work. What do you mean? Well, it turns out that an awful lot of the calls are outsourced mm -hmm. and the punishment isn't immediate if you complain, so it didn't cut all the calls. But even some of the calls, I mean, it's crazy. When it, when <laughs> when I used to be a jobless bum and I was at home, I'd get seriously between four and eight calls a day, I would think, in the daytime when there's, you know, people... Always asking about, oh, are you the main grocery shopper and all those sort of things. I just ended up pretending that I was a small child and my mother wasn't home. <laughs> it's spam. Oh. It's mm. spam for the phone. How do you do that, Tilly? <laughs> <laughs> what does it sound like? Uh, <laughs> move along. Come on, guys. We're not <laughs> well, funnily enough, my old flatmate was the one, he moved out of the house and we kept getting phone calls about market research and can I please speak to Anthony, blah, blah, blah. And would I be able to go into this website and tell them block Anthony's calls from coming into my house or my? Probably not. Because that's have... the annoying thing. Yeah, isn't that right? They 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 want private contact details. So they want your mobile phone numbers, mm. your email, and possibly your address. And they'll probably also record your IP address so they can pinpoint exactly where you are because it's a website. They can do that. So all this stuff that because you are concerned about your privacy, well, they they're interested that them. you're concerned. Yeah, that's. I hadn't even thought about it like I hadn't that. Even thought of that either. Mm. They call you back. <laughs> We've noted your concern. <laughs> that's right. Why did you do this? And they do a whole well, other market research on you, <laughs> choosing the opt out option. I've had well, that happens a lot at universities as well. You sign up for a club or society, and years afterwards, people are still getting emails about, oh, there's a new ski trip, or there's another scuba trip you can go on. Oh, no. Around Australia, yeah. I signed up for the nude skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll still be interested in that in yeah, a couple of years, yeah. Ed. Yeah. And phone Maybe spam 50. is much, much worse because it interrupts you whatever you're doing. Whereas email spam, you could ignore it till you, mm. you know, let it interrupt you at your leisure. So, what are we going to do about this science-wise, Ian? <laughs> science-wise, well, what can you imagine? As I said, what if it was on your mobile phone, right? You wouldn't be able to receive calls on your phone because you'd have to have it switched off so that it didn't interrupt you all the time, unless you had a whitelist of known phone numbers that you will accept oh calls my. from, which means you can't get job calls and you can't get calls from new friends you haven't whitelisted yet. And it's really inconvenient. Um, maybe they should just ban them. 
maybe it could disturb the electrocardiogram and people can get heart attacks. I didn't all this, think of that. <laughs> <laughs> all this spam. Yeah, spam can kill you. <laughs> That's the science. <laughs> pretty much our lot this week so it's goodbye from me Tilly Boleyn and from the rest of tonight's diffusion team Catherine Behag see you later Ed Pollitt go go Jude and Ian Wolfe bye if you want to contact any of these fine examples of youthful enthusiasm to congratulate them on their contribution you can grab our attention by emailing us at diffusion at 2ser.com Diffusion is recorded at the 2SER studios in Sydney and broadcast nationally via our pals at the Community Radio Network. To download any of our shows since the dawn of time, log on to our website, which is www.diffusionradio.com. Thanks for sticking around. Remember to tune in next week for your weekly shot of science with Diffusion. Diffusion.